This episode contains discussions of suicide and some sensitive language. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Agum Malwach. And I'm Aaron B. And you're listening to Braided, a podcast from the Artful Dodges Studios. Braided is a podcast that threads together intimate, challenging, and triumphant stories of people here at the studios. Our lives aren't straightforward, and our stories aren't simple. This episode, we hear a piece by Georgia Wilmot. Today, we have Georgia here. Thank you for joining us here in the studio. Thank you. We're here to talk about your episode. It has a really creative take on talking about mental health. Uh, so we figured we'd just chat to you before we play the episode. Can you explain what your piece is about? So my piece is basically about making a mental illness tangible. So what I've done is is that I've asked two participants to first describe their home Mm -hmm. and in that way they're describing themselves through their items and their space and then I've asked them what it would look like if their mental illness walked in through the door as a character and how that character interacts with them and the space. What do you want people to know about this piece before they listen? I want them to know that a lot of hard work was put into it and that I've tried my best to represent their stories as truthfully as I could, that the stories that Yudara and Emily both talk about are super important, super valid and come in with an open mind to it and try to understand and not get, you know, stigma and stereotypes in the way and just be present in the moment. Here's Home Invasion. What's the house like? And what's meaningful to you there? It's a two bedroom townhouse. There's a small little backyard filled with a lot of plants that I like growing. It's also a shared house with my best friend and our cat, Flu Flu. As I open the door, I like to just dump my stuff somewhere. I'll usually just lie down for a minute or two, you know, throw my shoes off and just like procrastinate (laughs) for a little while. I have a lot of little ponies and things that I had from when I was a little kid. I have a lot of little sentimental things like that and some jewelry and photos things that I place in spots, like say in my bedroom. I 
I have a little dresser with things placed out and certain spots where I can kind of see them and they make me feel comfortable. It can be a little bit frustrating at times because naturally I'm a super messy person. It's just who I am. But I have forced myself <laughs> to try and do so. And it is actually clean and tidy, the house, which is incredible, except for my studio in the garage, which is a complete mess. One of the first things I bought as an adult was the couch. And, like, working for me has been a bit of a challenge, which has a lot to do with, I guess, my mental health. And, like, a few years ago I was working in a full-time job in an office and earning probably more money than I'd ever earned before. So not that I was, like, wealthy, rich or anything, but I just had money for the first time ever. And so I was in a relationship at the time and me and my partner moved into an apartment and I decided I was going to buy us a nice couch. I feel like I'm maybe a bit of an alpha cook in the sense that I like to be the one who's cooking. I realised recently I really like the flavour of orange food. Yeah, it dawned on me. I like make things with a lot of pumpkin, sweet potato, carrot <laughs> and stuff like that. I live with my parents and my two sisters. <laughs> In my room, I have this green blanket that I've had since I was four years old, and it's one of the first things I remember, so seeing that triggers me a bit. <laughs> Not in a negative way, but a nostalgic way. I was about four. I woke up, saw the blanket, and my mum, she left to drop my sister off at school, and she said, stay here. And I just remember thinking, who am I? What am I doing? And then I remember opening the curtains, looking out the window while my mum left to drop my sister off. That blanket reminds me of that moment, and it just reminds me that I exist. And usually, like, the house's appearance reflects on not just my own mental state, but my mum's as well. If she's down, there's no food in the house, so we're all in our own rooms, but then occasionally she'll have a good day and then she'll make us food and then we'd all eat it together and then she'd clean the house and then everything will be bright. Also with my dad as well, when he's sober and he's in a good mood, the house seems a bit more brighter and then when he's not, everything is a bit darker. Sunday at 4pm is a very distinct memory. I'd wake up and the house is like completely dead. And you go to everyone's room and everyone is sleeping. That happened a lot towards the end of our stay at that house. Started, you know, keeping to ourselves a bit more. I spent most of the time in my bed, under the sheets, just like warm, watching anime. <laughs> when you're watching it, you can forget, but then occasionally you look up and you think, uh, what am I doing with myself? Like I'm just sitting here by myself in my room in the dark, watching TV, not talking to anyone. So it felt isolated. 
my dad was an alcoholic and in the middle of the night he'd make these groaning noises like ah ah like that because he was so drunk and he'd make a mess of the place all the time and then my mum would get upset she'd start yelling at him that kind of negative even if it's just like one interaction lingers in the place a typical day was go to school and during the day I wouldn't do much at school wouldn't talk at all my mum would find the car ride home to be the time for her to vent out her feelings which were always very negative feelings and so when we come home we're drained from that interaction as soon as I got home I like I didn't do my homework didn't do anything other than watch anime or read manga or whatever and then I do that till like three in the morning and then the cycle repeats what's it like when the guest enters your house The guest has arrived feeling tired and starting to feel fairly anxious. All my concentration goes out the window and I become super scattered and searching for 10 things to do at once and can't often just stick to one thing. It's small, it's like a little bear. Its fur is quite scruffy and dry. It's almost like a little kid bear, not in an immature sense, but in, I guess, a spirit kind of sense. And the colour is quite dark and it's quite thick, dark brown. I would say they smell quite bland, something very earthy, like something that's kind of, yeah, a bit dusty, I guess. The bear is often exhausted, overwhelmed and tired and it's running on adrenaline. And at the same time, it's super sensitive, like sensitive to noise, sensitive to light and just very sensitive. They don't talk. It's more like they just never stop what they're doing. They're leaving a trail behind of what they're doing so they might be like drawing and then they're getting all these books out and then they've switched that and they're doing something else there it's actually trying to do something positive and worthwhile but it just doesn't know how to do that and for me I feel like I'm sitting in the corner watching it and the thought of it is super exhausting and the more that it does the more exhausted and overwhelmed I feel like I become and then the anxiety starts to rise. The guest starts to conjure itself up, sits next to me and then I put my headphones in and ignore the guest but then when I get into the house the guest follows me up the stairs and into my room and then I'll be lying on my bed and the guest would be staring at me. I'm gonna name him Mr. Schwartz. (laughs) And he is a man in a suit 
kind of like Slender Man <laughs> and No Face from Spirited Away and wearing a hat just because <laughs> they're completely silent. Even when I'm not looking at them, I know they're there. Like I can feel them behind me. The guest is a part of me. So I don't try to deny it or and I don't want to accept it because I don't want to be too comfortable with the guest. They're kind of like a puppet master of me. All they're about is just managing my emotions. Originally, I just wanted the guest to leave, let me deal with things on my own, you know. Nowadays, the guest comes and goes because I've learned to minimise interactions with the guest. So when he does come, I do panic quite a bit and just get a little down for not being able to manage that. Having the guest around can overwhelm me to the point where I just don't want to do anything. There have been times where the guest has been bothering me so much and I just want to just run away from the guest and I get so caught up in that, I start to blank out. And then it got to a point where I was so often that I just got overwhelmed by the fact I'd been spending so much time blocking the guest out, being focused on that, that I didn't realise that I was doing nothing with myself. I was just like a blank canvas. So that idea really scared me. I just wanted to accept the guest instead of pushing the guest away. I think that was one of the biggest reasons why I decided to find someone who can help me to change that relationship with the guest. What do you want from the guest? And what do you think they want from you? I'd like the guest to get some rest. I'd like to make it a little bed and ask what it needs to feel comfortable and safe and relaxed. And I'd like to tell it it doesn't need to worry. And it's allowed to take break. It's allowed to feel inwards and not just the world around it. There's been times when they've done some pretty annoying things, like left things behind and forgotten them, important things or things that may have been sentimental, just out of like a bit of laziness or forgetfulness or just from being purely distracted and being like, fuck, it's too late now. What I've realised is it is a work in progress and once habits have been built up, it takes a lot to untie them. So I think me and the bear, it's almost like we have this big ball of knot that we have to sit there and untie and leaving it when it needs to be left and then going back to it. And sometimes, even if it's a little bit boring at stages. What does it feel like when the guest is with you? The guests like to keep me at home and would drain my energy. So I would stay at home instead of leaving the house. It feels like a weight on top of me. So as soon as I wake up, the weight of the blanket, you just feel it and you just don't want to 
remove the blanket and get out. Guess he's just sitting on top of me, just keeping me on the bed. But then I had to kind of push myself from the shackles that the guest was putting on me. And even though it was hard just trying to like walk with those shackles on, and then when you do get out, you feel like you're dragging your whole body. And then when you're with other people, it's just that feeling of, you know, the shackles just like weighing you down and you're just focused on that, that you can't enjoy things. He wants me to focus more on the things around me but I'm so overwhelmed by him that I just can't seem to concentrate on anything else. The guest is much like everyone else, thinks about what everyone else is going to think and not about how I feel. They kind of like run away when they see the blanket. That blanket is just like, my watching TV and sleeping blanket, which is my two favorite things to do, especially because when I do those two things, the guest is nowhere around. And that's why they have the term security blanket. They like to linger at the studying desk, so I don't like to sit at that desk. And I hate studying because the guest likes to nitpick at things. Every time I get an answer wrong, it's just like, oh, what are you doing? You made a mistake. <laughs> I think in general, the guest, he's kind of a survival mechanism. So he's just here to toughen me up a little. He's kind of like a teacher or a coach in a way. It's just like when you're doing your homework and the teacher has a whip or something, kind of like that back in the day. doesn't happen now, but kind of whips me into shape sometimes. The guest always just has my best interests in mind in a twisted way. Doesn't give the most helpful advice, but the guest is trying to help in his own way. The guest is always in my room, but strangely, it's the safest place for me because I don't want to share the fact that I have the guest. So I just keep it to myself. If they've done a good job, it's satisfying and it's like, oh, you're a wizard. You're amazing. Oh, keep doing what you're doing. Just go and tell everybody what you did. But then I guess, say, if it killed some plants, it's like, no, why didn't you do this properly? Why didn't you go and read about what you were supposed to do? Like, why couldn't you just read that one sentence and understand it? Like, ah. <laughs> Also, just sometimes not knowing its own strength. And I know there's been times it's destroyed things when it just, it didn't mean to, it was just holding it. It didn't mean to drop it, but it didn't know it was rough. Or it doesn't even think of itself as anything, but it is a rough bear. It's really struggling with the need to be doing things with a lot of pressure, but then trying not to put too much pressure on myself because I know that that's also damaging. There was a point where I felt like the guest was really overbearing and I wanted to deal with the guest 
So I told my mum, you know, I need to get help. And so my mum was pretty supportive, took me to, like, appointments. When I was at that, like, you know, suicidal kind of stage, I just didn't find any reason to live. I just thought, you know, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to live if it's going to be suffering for me? Why don't people understand that? I just want to, you know, I don't. I just don't want to live. And, you know, it's hard for me. I just feel like every moment is like suffering. But then my psychologist told me, oh, you know, when someone does decide to take their lives, it impacts a lot of people. So it's not just about yourself. It's about the people around you. Even if it's that person you said hi on the bus, they're going to regret that they didn't get to know you enough to try and help you. And when she said that, it just made me think, you know, it's not just about myself. My life might not matter to me, but it matters to other people. So I should try my best to live my life as fulfilling as I can and not just give up. A lot of the time when I was really down, the thing that got me through the day was, you know, you have two amazing sisters and your mum who cares about you so much, they do everything for you, just don't make them sad. but I wouldn't eat anything at all. And then my mum would start making food and force me to eat. She'd be a bit goofy, smile a lot, try to make me smile. And eventually, like, seeing her try so hard, it didn't make me laugh, but rather upset that she had to do that to try to cheer me up. So that's what made me want to try and change. After seeing her try, I was like, if she can try hard, I can try hard too, to be more happy. That's when I started to express myself a bit more, start smiling. If I see someone on the street, even if it's a stranger, I just smile. How do you manage the guest? The bear is currently trying some new medication, (laughs) which has actually been interesting and it is helping. It's helping the bear just stick to one task or maybe even just a few. And the bear's not as flustered, so I guess it's not as dusty. It's kind of a little bit more of a shiny coat. (laughs) Knowing I've got a good support network of friends and family being creative, that's one of the big things, is being able to have a creative outlet with pottery and drawing, and that one's huge. And then also getting the rest. I also have a really great relationship with my mum, super sweet. feel like it's been good to talk to her. Also, recently, I got to speak to my dad about it, and interestingly enough, I think he has this bear as well, which makes a lot of sense. I had a pretty good conversation with him recently and I was like, wow, you have a bear too.
the guest never leaves more than I leave the guest. So the guest would always stay in my room. And then if I go downstairs, the guest is there too. So if I go to my sister's rooms, guest isn't there. When I'm talking to my sisters, it's a bit of a relief that I'm not spending time with the guests and I'm spending time with my sisters. And then after having the guests, I'm like, well, now that this scary monster has been following me around for all this time and nothing's really happened to me, like, what do I have to be afraid of? Okay, well, we're back in the studio with Georgia. Hi. I think, firstly, after listening to your piece, I'm very curious to know what motivated you to pursue this. So it's a bit of like a personal reason. So since having generalised anxiety disorder and prevailing after experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, one thing in particular has struck a chord with me, which is that a mental illness is very intangible. So, for example, like you break your arm, which I have done in the past. Not fun. You know, I went to the doctor and I got an x-ray and they were like, your arm's broken. But with a mental illness, you can't really get a brain scan. And the doctor can't be like, here in your prefrontal cortex, Mm. there's your anxiety, you know. Um, So I think because there's just not a lot of physical evidence, that's why there's a lot of stigma And people find it a bit hard to understand what's going on. And when I was in year 12, I was dealing with generalised anxiety disorder and I was doing my major art project. And I asked myself this question, if my anxiety had a face, what would it look like? Mm. I could then start to imagine my anxiety as like a character Basically, now I can imagine my anxiety, its face, the character, and I can imagine talking to it. I can imagine, you know, arguing with it, fighting it, overpowering it and that kind of thing. So basically using the power of my imagination, I can make the intangible tangible for myself, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. And obviously giving it a a face... Mm -hmm makes it even more real yeah. than just in your head. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I never thought of that before. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what would mine look like? Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Doing this, um, like, you know, asking people and, you know, even thinking about it for yourself if you're going through and a mental illness, that kind of thing, it's kind of like a safe way to think about it. Mm. And, you know, it in some ways it is kind of like separating it from yourself because, you know, it's somewhat a part of you, but it's also like, you know, this separate thing. And that's why I did the whole them talking about their own house, because they've got a whole identity to them. You know, you're a person first and then you just be dealing with a mental illness. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. You interview Emily and Adara. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how you chose them and your process for interviewing them? I chose these people because they seemed quite open to talk about it at first. I think that's really important. You know, everyone goes through different stages and sometimes you want to be, you know, to yourself and then sometimes you're like ready to just tell everyone what's going on, you know. (laughs) So there's that kind of thing. Um, And they come from a creative background as well. So I think it was a, a lot easier for them to get on board with that kind of thing. So I asked them, but then I had to prepare as well. So I had to prepare a whole lot of questions, that kind of thing. And I have a background in film and screenwriting. So I learned about the three-act structure and that kind of thing. So I was able to create a lot of questions so that it was kind of directing them in a sort of story kind of way but also I tried to make sure I was as sensitive as possible you know not trying to dramatize their mental illness I'm just trying to be honest as much as I can be and definitely listening to the piece it's it made me even realize a few things and I was just like oh wow wow (laughs) (laughs) that is so good (laughs) that's what I wanted (laughs) so Obviously, through this piece, the illnesses aren't revealed. I decided to leave it out just so that people can go into the piece and try and be as present as possible and try not to bring too many stereotypes and like stigma and all that kind of thing at first and just kind of let themselves just feel the piece. Mental illness is a pretty close, hard-hitting thing for probably 80% of the world's population, if not even more, (laughs) because, you know, we're all human. (laughs) Is there any specific reason that you chose to uh, pursue mental illness? Yeah. So, you know, like with this podcast, I could have chosen to do anything, but um, because uh, mental illness is such a personal thing for me and it's just something that I just think about all the time. Uh, which isn't always great. Uh, sometimes I need to have a bit of a break and watch a show. Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets pretty intense. But, you know, I've a lot of my creative pursuits are around mental illness and I just can't stop thinking about it. Like, you know, sometimes I try to stop thinking about it, but then I just keep thinking about it. And since, you know, I experience it all the time, I just like might as well do something constructive with all this stuff that I'm dealing with. And I have family and close friends who have also gone through a lot of mental illness and so I've been able to not only experience my own mental illness but also experience other people's and hear their stories and that kind of thing that is just like such an important thing to talk about. Definitely. Well that leads into my next question. Mm -hmm. Um, What have you learned? The main thing that comes to mind is how I approach my own mental illness, particularly my anxiety, because (laughs) I used to be quite aggressive towards my mental illness because, you know, I have all this power now to imagine it. Mm. I can do whatever I want. And, um, you know, sometimes my mental illness, because, you know, I've been dealing with this for like all my life, like 22 years. And after that time, you know, dealing with someone who's, constantly nitpicking at you and you know saying what if this happens or what if this bad thing happens then you obviously after a while you're just going to get angry at them 
it was pretty funny because I structured the questions in a way that people would get aggressive towards <laughs> their mental illness and get destructive and all that kind of thing. But they were not. They they were the complete opposite. Um, so Emily, like originally, she she just talked about that she'd want to show compassion towards the bear, and I was just like, oh, okay, I have to quickly rethink all the questions now. And then I sort of like think about when I'm interacting with my guest that like you know, okay, I guess you do have somewhat of a point. And I kind of understand why you're here and why maybe you're a part of me. And instead of being just angry at it, just being curious and also compassionate because, you know, as I said before, the mental illness is a part of you and showing compassion towards your mental illness is showing compassion to yourself, which is super important. Definitely. And I think... um processing through like going through that mental illness instead of avoiding it and running away from it, it it's just 100 percent just like for mm. mental clarity mm-hmm. it makes you feel better yeah yeah what do you hope that this piece achieves i hope that the piece gives a bit more of an understanding towards mental illness and maybe instead of pushing people away who have a mental illness take the time to understand them And this can be a really great way for people who have a mental illness to be able to explain it to other people by creating like a character and being like, okay, this is what it's like if it was in my house. And, you know, I think it's just one way of doing it, but I just hope that it's just keeps up the discussion and you know we've already done so much work on mental illness in the past 100 years so I'm just hoping that this is just a part of the talk of it all. Thank you for coming in today Georgia. Thank you. It has been a pleasure and uh, hopefully we'll see you in season two. Home Invasion was produced by Georgia Wilmot, with editing and mixing help from Michelle Macklem. Braided is a production by the Artful Dodgers Studios. The production team includes Michelle Macklem, Jay Krantz, Joel Supple, Bethany Atkinson Quinton, John Chia, Louise Terry, and Angeliki Androsopoulos. Music in this episode by The Desolettes, Georgia Wilmont, and myself, Aaron B. The podcast is hosted by myself, along with Agum Maloch. For more about Braided, visit our website, braidedpodcast.com. And follow us on socials. On Twitter, we're at braidedpod. On Instagram, we're artful underscore dodgers. Dodgers.